Hey everyone, my name's Jen. I'm a licensed minister, a certified trauma-informed coach, and your host. Today we're here to say the pain. Say the Pain, a podcast brought to you by New Course Coaching, a trauma-informed coaching company focused on trauma recovery. Hello, we are back. If it seems like forever, that is very sweet of you guys. If it doesn't seem long enough, well, hello to you anyway. So we are back on Say the Pain with the second part of Jeremiah and I's story. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to episode one of our story, I should say part one of our story. It's I believe episode eight. Yeah, episode eight in the Say the Pain series. That will give you a lot of background as to where we're going to kind of pick up today. But if you want to jump in here, that's totally fine too. With that being said, though, Jeremiah, I have introduced in the other episode. So he is here again with me. Hello. Hello. But we are jumping back in. We left off with our story where we got back from the hospital. And in that scene, we were kind of told we were all good to go. And so we got back home. Everything was good to go is what we were being told. So we were trying to go back to life as normal, but life was not normal because we had just miscarried. And yeah, I mean, life is normal. What it really looked like for us was you know, you were going to go to work, you were going to start doing your thing, um, you know, getting, being there early in the morning, staying into the afternoon. I was kind of working a part-time scenario where I, I wasn't in full-time work. And so I was kind of in a scenario where I was kind of done with a seasonal job, I would say. Yeah. And so I just want to give some background as to like what, you know, whenever we say back to normal, well, this, are, this is what back to normal meant for us. So it was that Monday after that Wednesday where we had our first miscarriage that we were told to kind of go back to normal beginning that Monday. Yeah, and it was over. So we miscarried on December 30th of 2020. So that's holiday season because 31st is New Year's Eve and then New Year's Day is the first in So kind of going back into a normal season, I don't want to say we had a couple days off, but just the world didn't really expect us to be back at it for a couple of days. So when we go back to quote unquote normal, we're supposed to just jump back into our regular life, 
but now we're just not pregnant. Um, the problem really was though, due to the lack of correct medical care that was given, I went back to work, but I was genuinely not well. And I knew I wasn't quote unquote back to my normal. I just remember sitting kind of on my first day back and just crying in one of the corners because some of the people there I had told, but it was kind of the idea of the world was still moving forward, but I felt as if my whole life had just fallen apart, but I was supposed to just keep moving on. So I'm trying, I'm trying to move forward and I'm trying to function. And my job at the time just required a lot of mental and physical capacity. Thankfully, we were on our off season, but it was just a higher requirement. And so with that being said, Jeremiah wasn't working full time just due to a couple of situations that had happened with his job. Um, Previously with COVID, um, there were there were multiple parts of it. (laughs) COVID was a good scapegoat. (laughs) And so he was able to work part-time during that actually at the facility that I was working and so it was full-time seasonal yeah it's what it was so it wasn't part-time it was full-time seasonal um which just means that it's you're there every day you're doing a lot of hours but you know it's only for a season yeah um so that's kind of where for us for you the the season I mean it was a it wasn't seasonal it was constant for me in the position that I was able to fill uh, and work there, it was a seasonal position. So it wasn't going to be something that was going to be year round. So for me, it was starting to taper off on my responsibilities, um, which had its positives and negatives, you know? Yeah. Cause then you would drive me to work because Mm -hmm. we wanted to just make sure I was good. So you drive, you drove me to work and then you told me you were going to start checking up on me. Yeah. I was just going to, you know, either call during the day or, I'd show up and just make sure like you were physically doing all right. That's a little bit of the background of those couple of days of transition of, okay, we're grieving, but we're trying to move forward. We're told we're fine. So now I'm at work and Jeremiah shows up to just to kind of check on me and you can kind of talk about what you saw. You know, I showed up and your ability to be in conversation was extremely limited. So I realized that like, you were not able to actually have conversation. Your physical strength was at the point where you were just getting tired constantly and there was no energy. So I remember just seeing you sitting and you were just like, I'm white. I don't know why. I just, I can't do anything, but you didn't know why. But when in talking with you, it didn't seem like you were um, mentally all there. Not that like you had gotten crazy, like you didn't have the energies to express thought and you'd begin to express some of your thoughts, but you did struggle to finish complete thoughts. And so I realized that there was something just very off. Yeah. And you'd come in and you were saying of how, you know what, you you need to go home. You need, Mm -hmm. you need to go home. And I 
told you, I have to send one more email. I have to send one more. If I'm going to go home in the middle of the day, I have to send this email. And so I went up to my office and I'm trying to send the email and you came up and you asked if I was done. And that was where it really hit because I just sat back and looked at you and told you that I don't know how to finish this sentence. Yeah, because everything you everything you started to do, you weren't able to actually finish it. And you'd get stuck in the middle of it. And the problem wasn't that this was just like a bad day. The problem was, is that you're getting stuck on things that before would have taken you two minutes. Mm-hmm. Before they were, I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a thought if you had the ability to take care of that issue or to talk through something it wasn't even considered i mean it would never it would never have been thought of as a problem but all of a sudden these really really small things became extremely difficult and that is where i realized that there was there was something more going on there was something we were missing like you just even though we were told that you were ready to go back to work and not to worry about the physical side there was very clearly other things at play that I was like, no, something is not right. You know, I didn't know at the time if that was emotionally, I did feel like there was something physically wrong because I did see a, a physical energy level drop, you know, that was a cue for me. Yeah. And so when we came home that day, we called my OB that I was supposed to be seeing And I never got to that OB. I just got to his nurse and her response to me was, well, you have an appointment in a week and a half. So we'll see you then. Because we called because we were concerned about your, your state of being. And we were told if we had any cause for concern after we left the hospital, just to give our doctor a call. And again, we have not met him to this point because of COVID. And the nurse is telling me, well, we'll see you in a week and a half. That's when you're scheduled. So we'll see you then. And then proceeds to tell me, because I'm trying to explain to her, well, I've just miscarried and things were really, really bad. And she tells me that she doesn't have any of those records and it's my responsibility to get those records. And if I wanted to talk about that, I would need to bring the records to them and they would see me in a week and a half. Needless to say, that was one of the, one of the final phone calls with this scenario where I didn't have any medical staff on speaker. Cause after that, I just wasn't going to have conversations with medical staff alone. So anyhow, we waited that week and a half and things were not getting better. They were not improving. I was not improving physically. Mm-hmm. And we finally get to go to meet this OB. Yep. That was where things just, I felt as if I was going crazy because I couldn't believe we just kept running into the same problem over and over again. So we go in, he looks at us, he tells us that he doesn't have the records that, and he had heard that we had had a miscarriage and he doesn't have anything. So he just wants to hear the story from us. So we tell the whole story from start to finish. He sits back after we have expressed 
all of our concerns, all of the pieces that have come out. And he just says, well, that sounds traumatic, which I, I can agree with it. It was traumatic, but then <laughs> he, he just kind of sits there. And so you expressed your concerns of, no, my wife is not well, my wife is really not well. And he looks at me and he says, well, we can do a blood draw if you want. I have already lost a substantial amount of blood. I'm just not into giving out blood at this time for any free reasons. So they checked my numbers and my numbers came back fine. And so I was fine. And he told us uh, he did no exams. He did no checkups. He didn't do anything. He just said, if we wanted, we could have kids again. We could try to have kids right away without doing any exams, without having any tests really in hand, without having the records. I think the problem for us is that we were being given this advice to just go right ahead, but we had just come out of a really um, horrendous experience. And I think we, like anybody, would want to know why. And I think for us, that's where we got our really big concern was that we felt like we were being given advice, but there was no checkup to even try to see if there was finding any reasoning why we went through the the scenario that we did, the problems yeah. that we did. There was no checkup to see, okay, why did you go through that? Yeah, because at this point, the only ultrasound I had had, they couldn't see anything right. at the hospital. Yeah. So I hadn't had any tests to like actually see if there was a physical problem with me or if there was anything else wrong with me he was just saying go ahead and we left we were upset so we the next day called my family doctor i do just want to say i don't feel like this is the reflection on the medical field as a whole i feel unfortunately you know you you do run into people that it feels like they don't do the, the best job connecting with you or, or doing their job. It can feel that way. I, I do not feel that every doctor is that way. Unfortunately, we just kind of landed to a scenario where we were being taken care of by somebody that wasn't meeting our needs that we felt like were needed. And this is just where we were living. And this really is just our story. And that's where in the story, we called my family doctor because... We needed somebody that we had a relationship with to look at us and tell us if we were the ones that were crazy, if there was something wrong. Right. Was your energy drop just uh, something you were creating? Was, yeah. was your ability to lose your train of thought, um, was that just something you were creating because of X, Y, or Z? I can't remember if he saw me the day I called or maybe the next day, but it was not a long time. And we both went in and really it was such a blessing that you weren't locked into a full-time job where you couldn't leave. You really became the caretaker at this time because of your hours. Yeah. It was kind of a different scenario, but I just believe that God worked it out to where I was ending a seasonal job that wasn't going to need me anymore. And so I was kind of in that awkward place where you're looking for like another job um, but you're just kind of waiting for things to click into place but during that time I was able to just stay home and it was then that all of a sudden we had this happening in our lives so I I did I 
became and started to really feel like I became a, uh, a caretaker of you to a degree where I was making sure that you were eating and drinking and because you would I mean it sounds terrible but I mean you would just sit there and you would just kind of stare off into the space yeah and like there was very little conversation happening and so I I realized that like you just needed somebody to take care of you for a little bit and you know I I'm very thankful that I was able to be there in that time and what had started happening was I could I could hear people. I could actually hold a conversation with people, but the response from me was so challenging. It was hard for me to actually put sentences together to respond that I started just looking at people and telling them, I hear you, but you need to talk to Jeremiah because I can't focus on this right now. And that was starting to become very alarming to me. So we go and we tell my family doctor our story because somehow the records never got actually like taken care of. Yeah. And so he, quite bizarre. he worked to get them. Yeah. He kind of had to chase those down. Didn't he? Yeah. So he had us come in though and asked us to tell the story again. And so we started, but this time it was different because as we're telling the story, he stops us and he says, no, stop. Tell me that again. And we did. And he goes, you need to have a brain scan and I'm going to get this set up for you. And at that point it was a little shocking and a little emotional just because we're, what do you mean a brain scan? And so he wanted to make sure that I hadn't had a mini stroke just due to the violent onset of the miscarriage with the sudden blood loss, if my blood would have clotted and then potentially created that. Right. And the amount of blood loss. So the concern was, is that you had a little mini stroke Yeah. that in my book, I mean, that could have started, that would have really explained why you weren't able to have conversation. You weren't able to to follow through with thoughts. And so I felt like that, that really explained it, but we did that. And we explained we hadn't had an ultrasound. We hadn't had any sort of exam. And so he, he had another nurse come in. They did a full exam on me. He set up the ultrasound for me. He set up the brain scan for me and set up an appointment to come back because at that location, they don't have that um, technology. So I had to go to another hospital to have that done and then come back to have the consultation with my doctor. And so he set all of that up for me and was just wonderful to us, really listened and was just really going to bat for us. And so thankfully, all of the scans and everything came back that I was healthy, that, but some of that was just actually having some record of the fact that my body internally had not been permanently damaged. Right. So the, I mean, because the brain scan came back, you were clean, mm-hmm. you, were, you were good. There was no, no strokes at all. No many strokes, you know, that, that was a good, that was really good bill of health, but we still did not get all the answers no to specifically why you were still in the state that you were in and he was worried that it was an emotional thing which looking back i think that just scared me because it was he wanted to get me set up with a counselor who had dealt with some of that in in some ways i wish i would have 
pursued some of that more, but I just didn't want to run after the emotional health side. I wanted to have physical answers as to why my body was doing what it was doing. Now that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now, because your emotional health ties into your physical health. But at that time, that was not the answer I wanted to hear. And so some friends of ours suggested a holistic doctor in West Des Moines. And no, that's not the West side of Des Moines. West Des Moines is a actual city. So I was very, um, very up there when it comes to creativity, when it names its cities. It's its own entity. This is what you're trying to say. (laughs) And so we got an appointment set up with this holistic doctor and she ran some tests and Honestly, the very first appointment, I kind of remember, but at this point, my physical. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but I wasn't the one being examined, but I was the one talking with the doctor. So yeah, you, you kind of just sat there and did whatever we asked you to do. But I mean, the doctor was talking with me and here I am having a conversation with the doctor and I'm just like, okay, look, my wife has this problem. She has this problem. And like, this is a concern and this is a concern. And I'm having the conversation for you yeah. on your behalf because you literally could not tell her. No. You could not. It would have taken you half the day yeah. to communicate with her what the concerns were. And it wasn't like I, I would have happily have let you. And at this point, I wasn't even really eating a lot of food because my body hurt so bad from eating. We just got protein drinks. And so I was just drinking protein drinks at this point and not really able to talk, not eating. So my physical health was not getting better. And all that I can really tell you that came out of that was she leaned forward and she grabbed like, not like firmly, but just kind of put her hands on my shoulder and just got really close to my face and said, your blood volume is so low. Yeah. And I, and I nodded. I said, I hear you. You just need to talk to him. And that's where things started to have some answers. Yeah. Because what she found was that the actual amount of blood in your body had gotten to a very low point. What had happened really was because the miscarriage started so early Yep. and just due to the nature of it, there was a continual blood loss that started early in the day Mm -hmm. and it didn't stop happening. And it was never really dealt with until later in the day, unfortunately. And so by that time we had a DNC, make sure you weren't going to go septic. Yep. Um, And so whenever we did that, we later found out there was no blood transfusion. Yeah. We realized after we looked into it, there should have been a blood transfusion. Yeah. That it's it's actually normal procedure to do blood transfusions on for that particular procedure. So we learned this later and it's adding up with what this holistic doctor is telling us that your blood volume is actually low. The problem was that your numbers were tested. And so whenever I hear numbers are tested now, I just think it's a joke um, because they they would draw your blood and they would test the numbers and they were looking for percentages. Like ratios. Ratios 
of how your blood's actually doing. And they would look at the ratios within the blood, but they never checked the amount of blood in your body. Mm-hmm. And that was actually the problem was that you didn't have the blood. And the window for a blood transfusion at this point had passed. I, I couldn't just show up and be like, hey, I just need some more blood. I had to actually produce this blood naturally. My body had to do it. If you know anything about the human body, when your body starts bleeding, it goes into survival mode in some, if it can't clot, it pulls your blood to your most vital organs, the organs that are going to allow you to survive, your your heart, your brain, your lungs. Uh, one of the things that will go is your thyroid. And also have the blood leave, you're saying? I I can't say that it's the first one to, but it's not an essential organ. I see, yeah. And so it will pull blood away from your thyroid. And she explained, well, yeah, your digestive system, the reason why you're not eating is you don't have enough blood in your body to actually allow your digestive system to fully operate in a normal fashion so it is really hard on your body believe it or not your body needs blood and i just didn't have it so when i started having all of this blood volume understanding what started happening and i i couldn't understand why was i started gaining weight and then once we figured this out it was oh my my thyroid because you weren't eating but you were gaining weight. I was gaining a lot of weight and I was gaining it very, very quickly. I remember telling you, and I don't know if you remember hearing it, but it was just, my skin hurts. My body hurts. I feel like I'm about to explode because I feel like I'm just gaining so much weight. And I put on about 20 pounds, Mm -hmm. which in a very short amount of time is quite a bit of weight to pack on This was at this point in my life about the heaviest I had ever been. Yeah, especially whenever you're not consuming hardly anything. And you know what? Maybe I just really overdid it on protein shakes. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe that was it. I know protein drinks have higher calories, but it just wasn't adding up. But what was adding up was that my blood volume was low and my body was working so hard to produce this blood And so she started getting me some supplements and unfortunately that was going to take a long time for my body to start producing that. And I think where it really hit, cause I saw her about March or April, I was finally able to start driving and you had been hired on again, full time Mm -hmm. at the position you were at. Um, Yeah. In February, roughly. So at that point, what we had was because you you still weren't you were better and we had direction to work on but you you still needed somebody to check on you you know to make sure things were still okay so your mom would drive down and you know i'd be at work for however many hours and and there would be nobody here so we would just ask for your mom to come down and just you know spend the day with you babysit me yeah i mean just do that all over again you know and so about March or April, I drove down to the holistic doctor 
for another another checkup. I was there by myself. And in some ways I was really proud because I was making some progress, but I was not physically okay. And so walking was still really hard at work at this time. I was driving around in a golf cart um, because if I walked, I was too wore out to do anything for the rest of the day. It was really physically painful in my body. I remember taking our dog out for a walk for the first time, I think right before I went to the holistic doctor, because March things started getting a little warmer. And yeah, a little bit nicer outside. Yeah. And it was the first time I had really gone for a walk and it just, it hurt so bad. It felt good to feel like I was moving forward, but my body was just in such a bad state. And I had to really balance if I do something in the morning, I'm going to be so wiped out at night. But if I've got to do something at night, I've basically got to sleep all morning. And so I just showed up and she's testing me. And at this point, I'm just very discouraged and I'm very frustrated because when am I going to be better? When is this going to be done? My life was one way and I just, I can't have the baby, but can I have my health? So I'm just asking, when is this going to be done? And her response to me was, I don't know, because I've never seen anybody who's come back from what you have. And that was a very sobering moment. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks. So I came home and I shared that with you. And in some ways it was reliving. I'm thankful I'm alive. Yeah. But it still was hard because... We had been so focused on me. We hadn't really processed the grief of our miscarriage. So I came home and we talked about me quitting my job just due to the nature of everything that was going on. And so I did. Um, I turned in my notice the beginning of April because we just didn't know what was going to be coming. We didn't know how long the recovery road was going to be. It really was going that slow where we just were like, well, we're not going to keep sending you there if you're not going to be able to perform and keep up with what the job, the demands of the job we're going to require. Um, And I knew I could not physically do what was going to be needed. That I knew. Right. Like we just recognized that. And so like, how is that actually going to help you recover and rest if we kept stressing your body to the max every single day. Yeah. So I phased out June 1st of 2021. So this is almost six months after the miscarriage that I'm phasing out of my job and I'm slowly getting better. My blood volume had fully come back by the beginning of June. And if you have a problem with holistic doctors, again, this is just our story. This is just where we're coming from. Um, I did let my family doctor know what we were doing. There was no problem. So yeah, he was really supportive with what we were trying to do. And I think for us, it was, you know, our experiences just really showed that it was beneficial. Yeah. So although my blood volume was coming back at the beginning of June, the hard part was Then I started hitting the postpartum depression and that started setting in. I didn't really want to leave the house. I didn't really want to do anything, but it was a very shameful time in my life because I felt as if I didn't have the right to have postpartum depression because I didn't have a baby to show for it. 
it was also very frustrating that it took this long for me to be processing the grief of my lost child. Right. I don't really remember whenever I started to to process it. I think I, I blocked it out for quite some time because I there were just more immediate needs in the given scenario. So I feel like it took more than a year actually to process the loss of the first one even. Yeah. So it was. It, it was quite a bit for me. And so by the middle of July of 2021, we had noticed that the majority of my recovery had been completed. I was back to pretty much normal. I was functioning. Blood volume was good. Eating good. Thinking good. Talking good. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I was I was pretty excited um, because, you know, I felt like I didn't have any sarcastic comment from you for a month or two. And that's where I tell people I really drew the line of, like, hey, something's wrong. Um, and you know, you, you've learned to, to do sarcasm and great fun, which now we can enjoy. Like you, you wouldn't make jokes. Everything was very serious. And like, there was no laughter. There was very little joy and laughter for what seemed like the longest time. And I think the only laughter that I really remember having was when I was so wonky like and that's kind of the word I want to use because I remember just hitting kind of that wall and I started to use that word of like I'm gonna hit a wall yeah. or I'm crashing and it was kind of when all of a sudden I felt my cognitive ability leave and I would just get really loopy on you and that would happen a lot of times in yeah. the stores stores were just very overstimulating for me um, yeah so then the next thing I know like you're just holding on to my arm asking me to just lead you around yeah so like all of a sudden we're doing groceries and you're you're just like i'm done and so then all of a sudden i have i have to finish the list of grocery shopping and lead you around and keep you with me so it was probably in july that i really started to feel like i had a wife again and i think to some that will sound really really harsh but in my experience i mean you know, whenever we dated you, I mean, you became my best friend. We get married and living with my best friend. We're married. We're, we do everything together. We, we laugh about everything together. We cry about everything together. Whenever the miscarriage happened and we started down the road of recovery, I felt like you were an entirely different person. Yeah. And I could no longer have the conversations that I was once able to have. I could no longer have laughter and joy and to talk about some of the hard things that we're going through. I no longer have that ability. And and you just, you didn't have the energy to no. put into the relationship. And so for about those six months, it really was, I guess, five or five or six or whatever. But for that time frame, I had an opportunity to put into and to really give into the marriage into our relationship yeah with very little return yeah and i think a lot of times and, and that that may sound like well, what do you mean like you were expecting something well i think anytime i think every good relationship is a back and forth deal mm-hmm. that doesn't mean i demand things from you but i mean it's it's nice to have a back and forth and so for a time where before we were used to 
a consistent back and forth. You know, you'd laugh at my joke or you'd, you know, we'd talk about this. We'd connect on that, whatever. All of a sudden for months, there's very little connection. Yeah. And so it was during that time that I realized it was my opportunity to really show you that I loved you because it was like, okay, this person can do very little for you right now. How are you going to treat them? <laughs> yeah. And so it, it was very much of this is, it, it, it got frustrating at times, but it, I really feel like it was also a time to uh, where I was challenged in our relationship to where, okay, am I, am I really going to dig into and really love this person, even though they can't give back to me. And I chose to do that. And, and I'm so glad I did. Because really what it was, is it was a, uh, a growing in our relationship. It actually mm -hmm. deepened our connection together because once we got out of that and we got to that good spot, like we were able to look back and I was able to be like, yes, through all that hard time, I was with you. I was faithful to you. I, I, I loved you. I took care of you. I put in. Yep. And I think one of the biggest tests in life is how do you treat people that can't give to you, give to you? How do you treat people that you won't gain much from? Yeah. And I think if you look at the if you look at the temporary in the now, you know, that wasn't my goal. My goal was that I realized I had an opportunity to invest in the long term. Yeah. And so whenever we uh, got married we said our vows I mean I wasn't joking about them right I mean, right they were real and so it was an opportunity for me to live them out in a really long-term mindset that was actually so beneficial um to I'm glad you <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> I think some people can get really hopeless and I think for five four or five months I really understood and had a lot of sympathy and empathy for people that maybe are trying to take care of their spouse mm -hmm. that their spouse has limits yeah and, and the, their spouse can't do what the spouse used to do and i would just say it's worth it yeah it's it's worth it to invest and I think that was probably one of the biggest things for me is I realized there's hundreds and thousands of people out there that they can't go ride a bike with their spouse because their spouse has a disability. Yeah. Or they can no longer, they used to have conversations waiting to the evening and all of a sudden their spouse gets, um, has a problem where they're no longer able to have conversation and i started to really feel that loneliness mm. and so it it was a very hard time but it was worth every effort to invest regardless of what the immediate outcome was it was worth it to invest and to not stop putting into the relationship. And so my heart really goes out to spouses that 
you know, couples, I guess I should say that, you know, if there's one in the relationship that's not able to, to do what they used to do and things are just different, it, it's a true test of love to a degree that can challenge you. But it's it's a good love. It's it's a stronger love and it's a real love than yeah. sometimes Hollywood presents. Yeah. You know, as what they present as what this is real love. No, real love is giving when there's nothing that person can give back. Yeah. And ironically, we had about two weeks at the end of July where we were both healthy in 21 and then august 1st of 2021 hit that's when COVID hit our home and so i got COVID first which was just <laughs> i was like okay all right i'm better and now i've got COVID. and but what happened during that time was you got COVID to a level that was very concerning yeah, I ended up with viral pneumonia, an acute case, um, but I did, which wasn't my first rodeo with pneumonia. No, it, you had had pneumonia in 2019, and we won't get into whether or not we think that was COVID because we won't do that. But yeah, that, that borders line, that borderline is conspiracy. <laughs> but then, <laughs> so you ended up with an acute case of viral pneumonia. And they couldn't believe it because your oxygen levels were actually at 100, but you had viral pneumonia. And it was really, it was I, I actually it. a very bad, and the doctor walks in and he's like, yeah, this is really strange. You have an acute case of viral pneumonia, but you know, your oxygen levels at hundred, wow, you must feel really crummy. And you're just laying in the <laughs> ER bed. You're just like, bed, like, well, I don't hang out at the ER. You're like, I, this isn't my, I, I don't just come here. So, yes, so we go home because they give you um, some of the antibodies. Yeah. But whenever I got COVID, it was a few days later that I, I got the pneumonia. Yep. On top of that, regardless of what you want to say, what was a result of, right. what, you know, a few days later after I had the antibodies, I started feeling really good for like a couple of days, right? But then after that, all of a sudden I had a pain and the left side of my torso chest area. Yep. And it became very difficult to breathe due to the level of pain. Yep. Because it actually became painful to breathe. Every breath became painful. And so the short story with that is I was in the clinic that morning with our family doctor but they didn't have the techs on site to treat you because your case was getting worse than mine. So again, they had to send you to the hospital, but he said we could go to the ER or urgent care. And we were like, well, we should go to urgent care because we don't really feel like going to the ER. I go to the ER. So we went to the urgent care and we get there and it seemed like it was at least two or three hours. It was a pretty bad wait. After being in the, the family doctor's place, right? So <laughs> went to the family doctor and then, oh, well, for afternoon, let's go to the urgent care. So we went to urgent care. And they couldn't actually find what was wrong with you because they couldn't reproduce the pain and they were trying and they took it to chest x-ray and they couldn't see anything 
So she tells us. Because what, what had happened was that this had started like a day or two before, but it had gotten to the point where I couldn't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And if I laid on one side, it just took my breath away. Yeah. Um, and so like that was bad. So I had to lay on on my right side. But even in that scenario, um, I, I could it, it was still hard to breathe. So like I couldn't lay on my back. That was painful. It would take my breath away. I couldn't lay on my left side for sure. Take my breath away. We knew something was up. While at the urgent care, they say you need to go to the ER because they felt like the only solution to the pain that I was saying I was feeling, which I was still in pain that whole time, was that I had a blood clot in my lung. And so I'm asking her, when do we need to go? And she goes, you need to go in your car right now and you need to head that way. And I'm going to call them and you need to go in immediately. So we get in the car and we go and your breathing is not getting better. It is getting worse. Yeah. And so I drop you off at the check-in. Yep. I go in and I start, I start explaining our scenario, but the problem is whenever it hurts to breathe, you don't breathe good. And then if you don't breathe well, you don't have the air to project. So here I am whispering, like, is what it felt like, because that's all I could get out. I'm whispering the information yeah. to the to the the clerk that's there or whatever through the glass, right? So right. like it's a struggle. Like it's it was a bad struggle. Oh, and then telling them that you have COVID on top of it during that time. That was a whole different rodeo. Yeah. And so I come in and you're still waiting. And they told you to go wait. And we waited for a ridiculous amount of time. So I, I really remember the number of 45 minutes in that time. I right. just really remember because we started counting. And, and the reason why we were counting is because my pain continued to get worse. I mean, I was starting to get buckled over Yeah, the amount of pain that was being caused by trying to breathe. Yeah. You couldn't sit because that was worse. And then if you stood, I was worried you were going to pass out. So every breath was a challenge and they had us go sit away from other people because we had COVID that was part of my favorite thing so finally they call you back in I wasn't upset about that person (laughs) the introvert side I want my own corner anyway yes so we go in and they get you strapped up you're not breathing well and they give you fentanyl to try to deal with the pain yeah that doesn't do anything. It did. It did not do anything. And my pain started to get worse. And they came in, they did an EKG. EKG came back normal. So they come in and they tell us that they're going to do two things. They're going to do a blood draw because they need, they're pretty positive that you have a blood clot in your lungs. But they wanted to confirm that. So they, they were prepping a CAT scan. Yep. On top of that, they needed to do a chest x-ray to make sure it wasn't a collapsed lung. Yeah, they said that was the best case scenario. Yeah, which I'm just like, but I want both of them. <laughs> like, I don't want a collapsed lung in my body. And Thank so you. They, they're doing this. And at this time, our church is having a VBS. And I just text um, the Flemings, our pastor and pastor's wife. And I'm telling them. This is what's going on. This is what the doctors are saying. And so they told, <laughs> they they just text back that they were praying 
um, I had called my brother or my parents. I had called and told them I didn't know what was going to happen. We had a dog at home. So they came and got our dog while we were at Yeah, my brother came and got our dog. And he had a friend visiting from Florida. So this guy's first visit to Iowa. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Um, so anyhow, uh, they come to get the dog. But ironically, what has happened at this time is, and I say ironically, it was truly miraculous. Uh, the nurse comes in. She looks at us and she says, so... You don't have a blood clot and you don't have a collapsed lung. <laughs> Which I was happy to hear. But what I but what I didn't like was that they still did not have the exact reason of why I was in so much pain. So and you still weren't breathing. So what they after the first dose of fentanyl, I really remember a second dose. So I don't know if they did like one half dose and a second half dose to make a whole. I don't remember, but I remember them starting with fentanyl. Yep. I remember them doing a couple dosage. And then I remember them going to something else because it, the pain never left. Yep. It just, it would not go away. So they, they come in, they say, yep, your lungs not collapsed. Yep. Your, you don't have a blood clot in the lung. They, they were able to get that all squared away which is really good. It's great. Um, and they just look at us and they say, we don't really know, but we think. Yep. We think that the lining on the outside of your lung is inflamed so that every time you breathe, it's up against your rib cage. So- And it had been infected by the pneumonia. Had been infected by the pneumonia so that parts of my, on the inside of my rib cage had to have been inflamed as well so that every time my lung expanded i had that pain anyhow she tells us so we're prescribing you meloxicam which is just an anti-inflammatory you can go pick it up at walgreens because they're the only ones that are open until like 10 or 11 p.m because that was the time and i just looked at her <laughs> he's not he's still not breathing i mean isn't this where people come who aren't breathing but we're going home. And I just did, I didn't know what she wanted me to do with you at that point. Oh, yeah. Cause it was kind of like, well, we don't have anything to fix your problem. But what you can do is go, Sikam will fix your problem. Well, go get it, take it, and hopefully that'll take care of the pain. So it was kind of this hope uh, that it was going to work. So we end up leaving. But what happened was, is whenever she looked at us and just said that, yeah, it was just like, well, there's no answers fine we're just gonna get up and go home and it was at that point my pain level was a was on a constant rise i felt that i was fighting for every breath mm -hmm. and every breath was the most excruciating pain that i i have just personally ever felt in my life yep so it was it was very terrible you were terrified but i remember taking my legs off the bed and putting them down and saying, well, fine, if there's nothing else they can do, then we're just going to have to go and believe that this meloxicam is going to work. But it was as soon as I mentally made the decision of I'm done with the hospital, clearly there's nothing they can do for me. And I swept my legs over immediately. The pain started to subside and it was just kind of one of the oddest things ever. Because all of a sudden the pain didn't go away, 
but it subsided. I, I mean, I personally thought I was very close to death. Yeah. Um, it was just so bad. Well, and what we had learned was our church just got together and had started praying. Yeah. Like a group of them had just gotten together and started praying because they were all there with the VBS. And the fact that we were walking out that night and no, not everything was perfect. But the fact that we were actually walking out of the hospital and we beat my brother to our house for him to come pick up our dog. Walked out of the hospital, picked up the medicine at the at the pharmacy, got back to the house. And we we got there before your brother could get there. And I mean, they were 45, 50 minutes away. And they still took our dog. I mean, we didn't know we what, had was no idea what was going, going on. Yeah. But from that moment on, it was just a true testament to us of, you know, there's no explaining what happened. And for us, it really was just the power of prayer in that moment. Absolutely. Because, I mean, the doctors told us what they thought was happening, but they they just said, we think this is what's happening, but we don't know for sure. And I mean, I started to recover we weren't in the hospital that long and you had fentanyl in your system and they're sending me home with you and i'm just like ladies and gentlemen you don't even know our story the fact that i'm the well one in this situation taking care of that's right because i mean it was july that like you were really like ready to go and then all of a sudden now we're looking at at august (laughs) when it happened so really you go back to work September, the beginning of September is kind of when we swung out of our COVID season. Yep. And then I entered into my trauma-informed coaching, which is why I do what I do. And I just became very passionate about working with people in trauma recovery. And you talked about how giving to a spouse or giving to someone who can't give back to you. And for me, I really had no idea if you were going to walk out of that hospital. And I, I assure you, I did not think we were walking out that night. Um, (laughs) That, that was kind of the furthest thing from my mind. And those moments where you have to start thinking about what am I going to do if things go really bad? What if this is the last time that I get to share with my spouse and you hate those moments where you have to really address that. But it was at that time where I learned a little bit of some of what you had gone through because I couldn't do anything. I just had to sit there and watch them not have answers. Yeah, because um, in the middle of them not having answers, the truth was in, in my personal emotional state, I was very afraid. Yeah. And I, and I did feel a lot of fear and I think it was whenever they finally came to us and said we still don't know you don't have x you don't have y we believe it's this and at that point it was just like well I'm fed up with this I'm tired of just fearing it and if I'm gonna die well I'm not gonna die sitting down like I'm just gonna get up and do it and it was just kind of like I'm done so whenever I did make that decision I feel like it, it was just I don't know part of the faith and miraculous hand of God that I got up and was able to walk out of that place. But if you think about within nine months, it felt as if we had both sat by each other's deathbed, really not knowing what was going to happen. Right. It was a very uncertain future. 
And that just really evoked the passion to me for trauma recovery because it was, look, there is hope. There is a way forward. It might not be real fun. It might not be real pretty, but the reality is that there is a way to move forward. And I just want to be a part of helping anybody and everybody that we can. And so I did the certification from November of 2021 to April of 2022. Mm -hmm. We became pregnant again in April of 2022, which that was a little bit of a ride of emotions. Right, it was. That one was very hard to celebrate as well. So I called let them know I had switched OBs at this point and they couldn't detect a heartbeat at five weeks on the ultrasound. They were doing my numbers and the weekend of Memorial day, I get a call from a nurse telling me, well, your numbers don't look good. So prepare to have a miscarriage this weekend. But if you make it through the weekend and you haven't miscarried, come in and we'll do, we'll do another blood draw to check your numbers. Number one, I was really over numbers. Number two, you can't just tell me prepared to have a miscarriage because I only have one frame of reference of what a miscarriage means at this point in my life. And I just totally lose it. And then I told you what she said. And that was very emotional. So at a very early stage in that pregnancy, it just was kind of doom and gloom. There was no joy coming. There, there was no excitement. Even though we were pregnant again after the first miscarriage, it was weird. It was very hard to be excited about it. Uh, like we, we really, really wanted it. I think we just felt very hopeless. Yeah. Sure enough, um, I had started bleeding again and we ended up fully miscarrying at seven and a half weeks. June 15th of 2022 was when we miscarried the second time and we were at a youth camp this time, not a youth convention in Des Moines. We were at a youth camp in another part of Iowa. So we were just destined to be at youth events while this was happening. But this miscarriage was a little different. You know, people who talk about early miscarriages in there's a mixed emotion. You don't know the child and it's very early. And some people really don't struggle with that. And I think a lot of the struggle just came from this was all I knew. I thought pregnancy was supposed to be an exciting time. I thought there was supposed to be a lot of joy and I never got to experience that. And instead I just had to deal with doctors who seemed to really not care. And although this miscarriage passed correctly, the one nurse I had message and said, I miscarried. And so she goes, oh, that sounds traumatic. I will cancel your ultrasound appointment. Cause I had one scheduled for June 17th, which was that Friday. And I was at this point livid because I'm like, I am so tired of people not checking to make sure I'm okay after miscarriage. So we showed up at the doctor's office and let them know that we in fact did not ask for that appointment to be canceled. And we wanted our ultrasound at that point within those two days my body was not responding well to the miscarriage it was really cramping it was in an excruciating amount of pain and still bleeding which that was emotional just because at that point blood had meant something a little different to me than in the past and that was father's day weekend and we were trying to get together with my dad and 
I was just so, so, so sick. And I had maxed out the ibuprofen and the Tylenol that they told me I could take. And I was still in just an excruciating amount of pain. And I remember mentally and emotionally snapping at that point, because I just, I had been in excruciating pain for about a solid five to six hours. I had, I had no relief. And if this is what pregnancy meant, it was like, I, I don't want to be pregnant again. I, I want to have a child. I don't ever want to be pregnant. I'm just over this. And the only hope we had, cause that was Sunday. So I just started taking as much ibuprofen as it was going to take. And I didn't really care about the numbers or the restrictions. Um, I was just going to find a way to make it stop. And so Monday comes and I start to feel the pain again and I call. And so the nurse asked if I was in the same amount of pain. And I told her, well, not at this direct moment, but it comes and it goes. And she goes, well, how much ibuprofen and Tylenol are you taking? And I told her, she goes, oh, well, that's too much. I said, that is why I am calling you because I need help. And so she told me if the pain got worse to call them again. And I said, what if the pain comes back after hours? What am I supposed to do then? Her response was to go to the ER. I was done with the ER. I, I was just over all of that. And so I asked her if we could maybe be preventative in moving forward. So she prescribed hydrocodone. And when I got that medication, it truly did take away the pain. And what became very hard at that point was when the pain went away, it felt so good to not have that amount of pain. So the first miscarriage, I was just numb for a long time. I didn't feel anything. This miscarriage, I just felt so over the top in pain. I just wanted to be numb. And this medication allowed me to be numb. And that was the first time I had ever dealt with the idea of becoming dependent on prescription medication. And it really did become a very big temptation. And I knew what I was starting to crave. I was just craving that numbness. And so thankfully I did not give into the desire to just be on the medication and the narcotic. And they prescribed me a little bit because they didn't want to give me a lot because they didn't want me just to have access to a ton of the which is which is good and i remember you actually pulling me aside and saying jeremiah i need to talk to you and you weren't like saying hey i'm addicted to this and i need help getting out you were more, i remember you just saying hey i want to talk to you about this because i don't want to get addicted and i and i want to make sure we're handling this correctly, uh, which I thought was huge, you know? Well, I do think it was the only reason that I actually didn't give in, mm-hmm. that I was mm-hmm. accountable in that regard and that I had a support system. But I will say there was a lot of shame in even a- admitting that there was a potential yeah. desire to become dependent on that. But it was the first time that I actually understood how people become addicted in that sense of just trying to escape a pain in trying to escape something that you actually are just so tired of fighting. And I'm very thankful that 
I did have a support system. And for anybody who's listening, if you do struggle with that, I do encourage you. There are very, very supportive people out there and you need to find somebody who's just willing to come alongside of you and just to be that accountability partner. And it's really because that person loves you enough to be that person in your life. And because they love you enough where you matter to them and they don't want to see anything, anything harmful happen to you. And so for that, I am, I am truly very thankful, but that miscarriage for me was a little easier in some ways because I just felt as though it's happened again. Yeah. Here we are again. I think, I think it was, it was a hard time for me. I think what became hard for me was, okay, you know, here we are again, but why does this continually have to be so hard on Mm -hmm. my wife's body? I get some of it is just life, but at the same time, I mean, you never, if you love somebody, you don't enjoy seeing them be in pain. That, that hurts you, you know, it harms you. Um, But emotionally, I do feel like the second one was much easier to kind of process personally. And it wasn't the fact that we weren't saddened, but it was just that it was less than what we knew of the first miscarriage, at least for me. Yeah. I wasn't in the hospital. I didn't have a seven and a half month recovery. I felt like internally my body took about three months to kind of fully heal from the second miscarriage, just due to the amount of pain that I was in. Right. But we moved on, quote unquote, again. Thankfully, this time, recovery time, and I still had not really fully returned to work. I was more coaching at this time and just fully involved with coaching on the trauma-informed level. And so I was in charge of my schedule, but come January of 2023, we became pregnant for a third time and we are still carrying that pregnancy right now. We are due in October. So we are just around the corner because this will be released in August. So we are right at the stage of preparing for our third pregnancy. Yeah. So things are going really, really good, which, you know, we're very thankful for. We're looking forward to October very, very much, very, very soon. It's going to come sooner than what we realize. But there, I think for me, one thing that was really hard was a lot of people wanted to talk about setting up a registry or wanted to talk about, hey, are you thinking about names? And honestly, I couldn't even bring myself to think about setting up a registry to miscarry again. That was, that has been really hard this pregnancy just because the expected loss is still there. When I found out that I was pregnant, I kind of just wanted to throw a party because I was so tired of not celebrating. Right. So we let everybody know pretty early, early on in the pregnancy. We were just like, you know what? Like you really wanted to just, just, start celebrating and be happy and to be joyful and to be great to be thankful for what we did have yeah and so it was kind of like you know what we're not going to wait 
till almost there to to make sure that it's not false before we just are thankful for what we do have. And I think actually going back to the first miscarriage, it's actually in this third one that I have finally been able to process some of the hard things for me personally from the loss of the first miscarriage. I feel personally. Yeah. Um, because what I realized is it actually was hard for me to celebrate. And it be, it was like, well, I know we're expecting a third time, but I don't want to be attached. But I actually really felt like the Lord started to work on me. And he started to impress on me that I needed to celebrate. And I, and I really felt like by trying not to celebrate and by trying to not be too attached, I was actually being really selfish, not really taking care of, of the family. I was more thinking of myself. And so one of the things that we had, we had talked about was um, the gender. Yeah. You you really wanted it to be a surprise. Um, you know, you didn't want to find out until the end of it. And for me, it was like actually what I'm fighting is the desire to not get attached. Mm. And I realized actually I need to be willing to be vulnerable to this. I need to be attached and I need to celebrate. And so part of that process for me was actually saying no. If we're able to find out the gender. I need to know because it's a way of celebrating. It was going to be a way of actually finding joy in the middle of that. And I think I remember having some really hard conversations with myself and the Lord. And that's where I finally felt like I was able to process some of the first miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And I really felt in order to not to like move away and to like forget, but to move on in a healthy manner, I needed to take the opportunity at hand and to be thankful and to start celebrating for what we did have. And so that's why, you know, I talked to you about it and we now know the gender, yeah, which is exciting. And it was an opportunity to celebrate with family and for them to celebrate with us and to, you know, the idea of bringing us closer, yeah, you know, instead of further apart, instead of being bitter about the first miscarriage, I'm going to let that bitterness go and I'm going to be in celebration for what we have now. And I know for me, it was actually easier to celebrate early on because I felt safe within the first few weeks Yeah, because we had already been there. But every time it was okay, let me make it past that 10 and a half week mark. Okay, we made it past. Can I make it into the second trimester? Okay, I've made it into the second trimester. Can I make it to the 16th week? Can I make it to find out the gender? Can I make it into the sixth month, the seventh month? Where are we at? And so now we're in the middle of our eighth month, almost into our ninth month. And the idea of becoming attached and allowing ourselves to actually enjoy this pregnancy it's been a journey but at the same time I'm so thankful that we have done the work to process and to not ignore the fact that there are pieces just due to our past and things that we've gone through 
there are pieces in this pregnancy that have been hard more just to emotionally process because there's pieces we didn't know that would come because we hadn't been this far but now we are faced with hey i mean let's set up a place for our baby to be right let's make room in our lives to actually believe in this yeah pregnancy and so it has definitely been a journey I thank you all for listening. And I think as we wrap up this, you know, it's just been kind of a continual timeline of our story. I know last time, you know, you kind of gave your, your ending thoughts. I guess if I were to give my ending thoughts, some of it would be what you do with what life kind of deals to you is so important. And there were a lot of choices that we had to make yeah. of what we were going to do moving forward. Right. Were we, were we going to allow life to make us embittered? Yeah. Or were we going to make the best out of our given scenarios? And I think, you know, it's been a time of test, you know, so to speak. It's been a time of really going through it. For us, it, it's that's been life. Yep. And I think for more people than what we realize, and and for whoever's listening, there's people in your in your life yep. where life just hits them. Yep. So hard. But I do feel like we have a choice to really make the best out of it or to become bitter and to become very hard mm-hmm. um, towards life and very hard towards other people in life. It can become very easy to feel as if you are allowed to become hard or bitter because of what you've gone through. And it's hard to accept that, you know what, I'm making the choice to not allow this part of my life control me, but I actually want to control what comes of that part of my life. I want to be in control. And that is one thing that I am just very thankful. And it's been a lot of work. But we had to take control of moving forward and not allowing us to feel like the victim. And the reality is there is medical trauma that I still process. And there's medical trauma that I think I just can't ignore has happened. There's other traumas that have come, but I get to be in control of my response and it does not get to control me. And that's not saying you're in a you're wrong if you're processing that or you're not doing it right, but just feel encouraged that there is hope for you to actually regain control in areas of your life that you feel like you've had to surrender to be able to survive. So is there anything else you can think of before we sign off? You know, I don't, I don't, I think I actually have anything more to add. Well, with that being said, thank you all so much. And we will have one more episode and we will have that in September, but just due to the pregnancy, we're going to celebrate by taking the month of October off. So we will have one more episode coming. Depending on the timing, you might have to take off (laughs) November as well. (laughs) Well, I'll probably, we'll probably be done in October or I'm sorry, September. We'll probably be done in September. That'll be the 10th episode and we'll kind of wrap up season one then. But thank you guys so much for listening. God bless.
Bye-bye.